Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the RC Report. I today have a very special guest, maybe my favorite guest that's not famous. Uh, sorry, Alan and Corey. But I have with me, well, I'm going to say, I never say your name out loud, Joe Matz. Did I say it right? You got it right. Yeah, you got it right. All right. So, lots to talk about. <laughs> lots to talk about for the NFL. The political world, I don't think we'll have enough time to talk about uh, TV shows, but we'll see if we don't go too long. But I think the most pressing thing right now for us to talk about would be the MVP race. In your mind, and you don't have to do them in order unless you want, who's in the, and it's a dangerous word, but by your definition, who's in the MVP conversation with air quotes? Um, I think at most you've got four guys, which would be Wilson, uh, Lamar, McCaffrey, and Deshaun Watson. Okay. All right, let's go down. Uh, I, I think any, anything beyond that is a stretch. Like, I'm sure there's probably some Packers fan out there who thinks, like, Aaron Rodgers should be in the conversation. I but think I think it's those four. As an Aaron Rodgers hater in the past, I don't think it's crazy, but after that week, I can't. You can't. <laughs> He's falling out of the conversation. He's no longer. No. <laughs> I, I think he threw for 160 yards. No. And the first game, I think, against the Bears, he didn't throw for a lot. So we can't. We can't give Rodgers any kind of love here. All right, so let's go by, through them one by one. I think most people have Wilson as the leader in the clubhouse. For me, Russell Wilson, and this is what I was trying to get across during the season because I have been one of his greatest defenders. He's from Richmond. My son went to his camp about five or six years ago. I'm just a big fan of everything about him. But until this year, you would have those games – Well. Well, I guess there's a couple things with Wilson, and they talk about it on PFF a lot too, that the concept that, A, he's taking on so much by himself that the degree of difficulty, even though he's amazing doing it, is so hard that he's going to have three to four to five stinker games. And also the fact that he's very efficient, but the volume that he's asked to do because the team is a primarily running team isn't enough to make him elite. Do you, is that different for you this year? Or what do you think of those concepts? Um, uh, yeah, obviously in the past, you know, the criticism, at least so far as him being among the elite is that the defense, the run game, like you said, was carrying, um, you know, the run game's still been good this year. Chris Carson's obviously have another strong season, but, I'm not sure people realize how not even mediocre, but generally pretty bad the defense has been this season. Like on a football outsiders, as of this week, Seattle ranks 27th in their defensive metrics and the special teams is 29th. So basically the offense is carrying this team. And when the quarterback has 22 touchdowns to one pick, I think it's pretty clear who's doing most of the lifting there. Yeah, I think, and, and again, the, the criticism, not, and not even big criticism, I just think he was like, when they had the quarterback tier thing, I didn't think he should be in the elite. I thought he should have been at the top of the the top of the next level of the elite, and they made him in the seventh. So, and that was before Andrew Luck retired. 
And we've had several injuries. I mean, if you look at Breeze and things like I can't really use Drew Breeze as that. But he has been amazing. And it's amazing that a quarterback can play so much of the game in an improvisational manner and still be as effective as he is. Yeah, that's true. Because I, we, we had this conversation before the season where you were pointing out that because he plays that way, it leads to those games where he just isn't very effective. And I mean, this year he did have the Baltimore game, which was kind of ugly. But obviously, we we've seen that Baltimore is pretty good. So yeah, exactly, he's not the only one to lose to them. Uh, second, what's and the, otherwise, okay. outside that game, he's been great. Yeah, that's the only game he's had that Dutch game with with Baltimore, and I think he was under two hundred yards and under fifty percent completion percentage. Uh, let's get to, before we get to Lamar, cause that's the one we're going to have to unpack a lot. What have you thought of Watson this season? <laughs> would he be your second? I'm assuming, but maybe you have Lamar second, but he, would he be your second? No, I, I would have Deshaun second. Yeah. Yeah. I just said, I, their run game has actually been surprisingly kind of effective with Carlos Hyde this year, but I mean, he's even with the tonsil trade, the offensive line is still porous. I also, I'm just not that sold on Bill O'Brien as a coach, so I'm kind of giving him extra credit because I think he's overcoming <laughs> he some get extra mediocre. He's a pretty bad decision maker. Watson should get extra credit. Bill O'Brien in general. I don't. I feel like they, now, you have to give him credit because he did cater the offense in the beginning more to Watson's strengths to get him rolling. But I feel like Bill O'Brien is definitely one of the impediments to Watson's success, and he's overcoming Bill O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then... And then, uh, shoot, I'm not sure about his stats overall, but I know they're... <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. And it's, it's so amazing. It's almost like he's gotten to that point, and I was a doubter. I doubted him, and that's the thing I've been kicking myself the most about uh, this season, my evaluation. I basically had him and Trubisky tied... I was right about Mahomes. I'll take that to my grave. I was like almost verbatim on the evaluation. <laughs> but I had Watson as like a realistic Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. And uh, that's mm. off, obviously. And I had him and Trubisky basically tied with Trubisky slightly over him. And that haunts me. No, so, see, I was the reverse. I was in on Watson, and I was like, ah, Trubisky, Mahomes is a toss-up. So <laughs> yeah, they're still not good. Regrets. That's not good either. And it's just like, how did I get fooled? And the thing with Watson was that I knew, I saw it. I said, the two best games I've ever seen him play were the two most important games. Why shouldn't I just look at that? But I looked at so much of like his pocket presence yeah. and some of the sloppy interceptions he threw that second uh, go-around. And they just bothered me. I think Jameis Winston has really fucked up the way I evaluated quarterbacks. Because that when he came back, he was so sloppy. And everybody's like, no, no, he'll be fine. That's not really him. His sophomore, his uh, redshirt sophomore year was really the year we got to go by, not his junior year. And look where that got me. And I knew my instincts were like, no to Jameis, you know? Yeah, I, I was actually thinking that right before you said that. I was like, well, that's what happened with Jameis. Is both of them had those interceptions in college where 
you just scratched your head and then they'd make an amazing play and you had to kind of decide, you know, what was, what was more telling. And obviously with Watson, it was those championship games, but not the same with Jameis. Yeah, exactly. And then what Jameis didn't have, there was that with, you know, with the Oregon. And then you just look at Jameis's general decision-making and character issues. And you look at Watson and then on the other hand, he's like the poster boy for, everything that's supposed to be right with quarterbacks in the NFL. And he's kind of perfect for that. And I feel like this year, just watching him just, and he's not looking to run. He's just dodging everybody inside of the pocket and making these incredible plays. He reminds me of the end of the matrix and you're the movie buff, but the end of a matrix matrix (laughs) when Neo figures out how to do things. That's how I feel. Watson's playing at this high level. And I never thought he could be on the level of Mahomes. I thought that was like a joke when they played this year. But it's not that crazy that they could be on the same level for the next few years. Well, right. I mean, if if we gave Deshaun Watson Andy Reid, and yeah, I that, think that guy that would close a lot. That too, and obviously, uh, Mahomes has more natural gifts, but Watson has very good uh, natural gifts. But his 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 feel in the pocket and feel for the game and. And he's not taking as many chances and getting picked off like he was a couple first couple of years. I've been very impressed, and I'm I was really hard on him when he came out too. Yeah, because even that first his rookie year, where you know he kind of took everybody by storm, but even then he was throwing up a lot of questionable passes that were getting picked off. And now, I mean, it's five picks through nine games, yeah. so. Clearly, he's improving. And uh, he's completing 70% of his passes with eight yards per attempt. If you're doing ridiculous. both of those, you're operating at yeah. an It's really level. ridiculous. It, it, it's unbelievable. Like, and a lot of people – and it's so funny because we're not at Lamar yet, but it's so funny. And his stats weren't great against Jacksonville, London game, whatever. But it's so funny that Watson has these great games, but they haven't been on television. You definitely haven't had a Sunday night game, I don't think. They might have had a Monday night, but – Oh, they had that game against the Saints. Was that the first game? But and they lost. But it's amazing yeah. what perception of these late four o'clock games can do. Usually, Cowboy games that everybody's watching, or Sunday night and then Monday night, <laughs> they just shift your perception. Now Lamar's getting all this attention, but but Watson has been doing MVP things the whole season. He just didn't play the Patriots on prime time. Absolutely. I mean, that, that Saints game, that Saints game, they would have won if the defense could have just. Yeah, exactly. Held for the last, like, 90 seconds. But. And that that was one of the things. It's like, okay, this is different. He just went down the, the uh, field in two plays, and it's like, okay. But his defense couldn't even hold. So let's get to Lamar. That's where our meat is, I think. Uh, if you were to evaluate Lamar, what is he in your mind? Uh, can you be more more specific there? What do you mean? What is he in my mind? Like, okay, like what mind, tier he would be among quarterbacks? Or? No, just in your mind. Uh, so, okay, in my mind, he is this oddity, this anomaly is a better word. He's this anomaly that exists mm. because he's an amazing runner. He's a pretty good passer with a strong arm. He can make some special throws, but not consistently accurate. And I think... It's more of a fad than a long-term thing. I think if you're evaluating football, like you have to figure out what you think he is 
in the abstract and in the long term. I don't know if I'm being specific enough, but if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it says a lot. I, about, I think that makes sense. I because... think it says a lot about how you view football and how you view Lamar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you got a, a good point there because obviously we've seen there's been more of a move towards mobile quarterbacks. And I mean, if you look at the guys who are really excelling this year, you've got, you know, Wilson, Watson. I mean, Dak Prescott's played great. Um, get Josh Allen. We got to kill So you've seen Josh that. Josh Allen. Saltines. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh Allen's mobile. We'll give him that. But, uh, yeah, so we've seen that, yeah, so, I mean, there's also, yeah, there have been white quarterbacks who have been more mobile, too, although not all of them have been able to pass that well. Yeah. But I think you're right that Lamar is different, because I don't think he's on the level as those guys as passers, but also I don't think any of them are on his level as a runner. I think he, he basically... If my best comp would be he seems to be on the path to maybe being what 04 Madden Vic was. <laughs> yeah. I started thinking about that because a lot of people think it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because, I mean, look, we saw what happened with the Patriots this week where, I mean, that was statistically the best defense that we've seen in like the last 40 years through eight weeks. And then they go against Lamar, and they have to deal with all the things he brings to the table, and they struggled. And I think he does. And if I'm remembering back to Kaepernick when this when it was new and the read option was mm. new, and with RG three and uh, who was the most recent one? RG three Kaepernick. I mean Vic, but he was mostly it wasn't an offense tailored around him, which is kind of sad. But it took the league a little while to figure those guys out. And I think the more the league saw them, the more they figured them out. And Lamar is unique, but I'm not sure. Remembering how electric RG3 was in the very beginning, you know, and his ability to pass, and remembering how electric Vic was. Lamar is different, but I'm not sure that it's better. It's just different. You know, he has more wiggle mm. and more agility and definitely can shake you better than those guys. I'm not sure he has the flat-out speed that those guys do. You know, I, I don't know how to... It, again, it's hard to put him in one spot. Yeah, I, I think that's... Yeah, I think... I don't know that anyone had Vic and RG3 their straight line speed when they were going. <laughs> so but, I mean, you... Lamar's up there. He's close. and uh, He is close. It'd be nice if he ran I heard this the other day. I think it was the other day on the Ringer uh, NFL podcast that I think it's in, maybe it's just the Belichick era. Only one other player has thrown for a touchdown pass and run for two in one game against the Patriots, and it was Ronnie Brown. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I listened to that podcast, too. Yeah, that was kind of funny. And I don't want to, to dismiss it and say it's a wildcat. And on that podcast, they went over right. um, talking about whether it was a gimmick. And on our page, someone didn't like that I said gimmick. But gimmick is dismissed, but it's dismissed because it's not viewed as something that can work long term. 
But if you do a flea flicker, and it's obviously not that much of a, a single gimmick, but if you do a flea flicker <laughs> and it works, that's not bad. You just know you can't do a flea flicker every play of the game. And so in this, I think to be this run heavy, to run the option, to have three tight ends, to put your quarterback in danger that much, I don't see how that could be viable long term, but maybe it's viable this year, kind of like Kaepernick. I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm having a hard time, but I, I feel like at some point I'm minimize I've been minimizing how great it is in the present because I'm looking at it from the evaluator eyes of, okay, this can't last historically long-term. No, yeah, I understand what you're saying, because, I mean, you're right. Like, I don't think Kaepernick just suddenly fell apart. You know, people adjusted. RG3, obviously, the injury mattered, but even still, I think, again, adjustments happen. And the key for Lamar, oh, and Cam Newton, obviously, like, just... Even if it's kind of working, if you keep putting your QB in harm's way, their body's going to break down eventually, yes. which is what we're seeing with him. So if this is going to continue, it's not going to continue in the exact same way it has been over the last year. He has to progress as a passer. And that obviously you never take away the running option, but three or four years down the line, it's not going to be as effective. I mean, obviously that probably next year won't be as effective if you're doing the exact same thing. You have to adjust. So the question is, will he have that ability, and will their offensive coaching staff have that ability to continue to tweak this so that you keep people guessing? Now, and one of the things that's bothered me about Lamar, and we're a little bit differently political, politically. When we first met, we were much more <laughs> difficult, different politically than we are now. It's not as far away <laughs> as it used to be. But I really feel feel like because of Polian and it's mostly Polian. I think that there's <laughs> this straw man and he apologized today. Did you see that? He apologized. Well, I guess he just said he was wrong I, I, or he apologized. I, I don't know if he specifically apologized, but he said he was wrong about saying a receiver. Um, but that was like the only person and there were rumors of him being asked to, to work out, but like, I never saw that concretely, that a team asked him to work out a receiver. Maybe I'm wrong. But I felt like this straw man of racism against him was built up. And I'm not. To, and that's not to say there's no racism among how we look at black quarterbacks. But I thought, given what he's shown on film, doubting him as a passer and uh, not being high on him was warranted. And then I think the response on Twitter, especially, you see it, is there's just this Lamar chorus that wants to praise everything he does um, and knock down the straw man, which basically, in my eyes, which you could differ, was Bill Polian <laughs> and, and maybe whispers. <laughs> yeah, it's a complicated subject, obviously. I mean... I, I wouldn't say it doesn't play any role. I, I would have to assume it plays something with Bill Polian, because I don't know why you would say that. I don't. He's old. But, I don't. Know. I mean, we, we, it's not like we haven't. It's like we haven't seen black quarterbacks go high in the years preceding him. Yeah. I mean, RG three went second. 
Uh, like I said, Watson, I think, was 10th or 11th. They traded up to get Winston went number one. Yeah. Mariota, whatever you want, you know, people, person so, of color. So, yeah, you can't just be like, well, it's because he's black. That's why he dropped to the end of the first round because that doesn't make any sense based on what we've seen over the previous five to ten years. At the same time, like you said, there were real questions about his film. I'm just a little confused as to how Josh Allen went so high based on his <laughs> film and physical attributes. And then we've got Lamar dropping 25 picks later. That one leaves me at a bit of a loss. Now that, I did forget they were in the same draft. I was lower on Josh Allen. I have never thought Josh, that Lamar's pocket presence now then probably forever will be better than Josh <laughs> Allen's like that. I don't understand other than you say he's the big, strong kid. You give him that, you know, that he's that got the Hollis arm and he's the big, strong kid. You can say that six, five, like that. He's what you want physically from a quarterback. So maybe you give that over Lamar, but I thought we were past that. I thought because we got you got uh, not Johnny Manziel, but we got uh, Baker, and and we have you know I thought we were past. Hey, we got to have a six four two thirty quarterback, but that is a good question. I just don't don't, I, don't tell John Elway that. Good God, John Elway! Gosh, I met this lady at the courthouse one day, and she asked me where my team was and blah blah blah. Then she said Denver. She says I think that he just doesn't want to draft somebody as good as him. And I was like, maybe he's right. Like, maybe she's right. Like, I don't understand why he can't pick a quarterback if we go off on that tangent for a second. And, I mean, it's like you said. Like, we we all miss. Like, we thought Trubisky was maybe in this level as I thought Mahomes and you thought Watson. It's not an easy thing to do. It's just his decisions just seem so obviously bad the moment they happen. Yeah. Like, I, who is the Memphis guy again? I can blank it on his oh, name right oh, now. Gosh. But it's just like, he's 6'7". Like, they had Osweiler. Yeah, too. it's just Pax like, immediately, Lynch. like, that guy. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah, Osweiler. I yeah, mean, these guys don't hate I'm biased because Osweiler went to ASU. Yeah. So I hate him, but... <laughs> I felt like that was obvious. The Flacco trade, that didn't make any sense. Yeah, what do you and think then they altered his contract. A bunch of dead money next year. Like... It's bizarre. It it really it, it, it I I don't understand Elway. It's kind of sad, but uh, well, I guess not because he's kind of misleading on the Kaepernick situation. But we won't go there. And then we have White Jesus, <laughs> as I've coined him. I hope that catches on. It is amazing what he's done, and I've been one of the biggest Christian McCaffrey supporters out there. But MVP is too rich for my blood. And then if we could talk honestly, because most of us are socially conscious. It's got to be a racial dynamic to the fact that we're talking about him for the MVP. I think a lot of times when, <laughs> I mean, God, come on. When white guys succeed in a sport that's dominated by black guys, or at least in football, obviously that position is dominated by white guys. So it's like the Larry Bird effect, the great white hope of boxing effect. Even I think some of it's being tied to Luca. Um, that how passionate white guys get about these fish out of water athletes, generally speaking. And I love white Jesus, but MVP is a lot to me. I don't know how you feel about it. 
Uh, I mean, I, I think you obviously have a point. Like, it's there's just kind of a rarity to it. We're just like, how is this guy the best running back in the NFL? It's just like a six foot. Is he even six feet? I like, don't know if he is. It's pretty really small compared. even for a running it's back. It's a lie like, if he's dude. six foot. They lying. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> But to be fair, I think if you know if you swapped his numbers, and obviously, well, you'd have to swap the record too because the Saints have been better overall. But if Kamara had stayed healthy and the Saints are weathering Drew Brees being out, and yeah. he's been putting up 110 yards a game, plus I don't know the receiving numbers off the top of my head, but you know, also adding 40, 50 receiving yards. I think you would see some MVP talk about Kamara in that situation as well. Yeah, he's on pace for 1,700 rushing, like, whatever. The total the yards from scrimmage would be second only to Chris Johnson. So, I mean, it's there, but we don't usually talk about what somebody's on pace for when we're going for MVP. You know, we kind of say, okay, this is what he is through <laughs> how many ever games. But, yeah, maybe. I, and there was talk about Gurley. A couple years ago when Brady won it. But it was kind of a dead year. It was the year after Matt Ryan. But this year, you clearly have some people that stand out. Like, I can't see how he would ever get into an argument over Russell Wilson. Like, what could your conceivable argument over Russell Wilson be when he's got 22 touchdowns and one interception? You know, how could you make a case for him over Russell Wilson? You know, that, that, that would be a tough one for me. And then you look at the inherent value of running backs and you talked about that a lot on the page about the Zeke situation what do you think uh is the value of a running back in today's NFL well obviously yeah I've been very vocal I thought the Giants made a mistake in taking Saquon (laughs) retrospectively maybe they were smart not to take Darnold you could argue but I think if you look at like the value that the Colts got trading down in that draft versus taking running back number two, I would stand by never take a running back in the top five. And then, well, I mean, obviously these guys still have value. I mean, McCaffrey, I think this season probably is more valuable than any other skill position player outside of QBs. And, that's rare, but I think he's the rare case. I think you really have to bring that dynamic of being not only an elite runner, but someone who's super a weapon that you can use in the pass game, which is why, I, again, I thought you know the Cowboys, I thought Zeke was a mistake. I probably would still have taken Jalen Ramsey, but you know Zeke's, I think, clearly been the second best running back this year, so I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to cowboy bash too much here. <laughs> but, yeah, to me, you don't take running back in the top five. And then to even think about top 10, top 20, I think you have to think that they're a – you have to think it's going to be a guy who's going to be a top five running back for the next five to ten seasons. I think you have to feel pretty confident in that. Because, uh, you know, the value, like Kamara's a third rounder. Kareem Hunt, obviously, before – you know, his off-field actions. It's another third-rounder. I don't even remember what Chris Carson was. Yeah, like, You can find these guys on day two easily, and even sometimes day three. So, Philip Lindsay's undrafted, so... Yeah. 
You know, it's just you're not finding that value. And Austin Eckler, Austin Eckler is better and, than Melvin Gordon. Would not that the Chargers realize this? He, yeah, but, he has. <laughs> but he, and I think he was off drafted. The Chargers don't seem to realize this. Uh, but even though they saw them both separately, but they don't seem to realize. But yeah, you can get them anywhere, and I feel like only if you're talking about the Zeeks, the Girlies when he was at his best. Uh, and even that, that's a cautionary tale because yeah. look at he got he got hurt. You know, the mileage goes very quickly. And then Christian McCaffrey's, do you even consider it in the first round to me? Yeah, and, and that's the other big issue is, you know, if you, get a, if you get a quarterback who's a franchise quarterback, that guy plays your team for 10 to 20 years. And even if it's, you know, if you get an elite tackle, offensive tackle, that's 10, 15 years. Wide receiver, you can play at least till your early 30s if you're an elite guy at a high level. Running back, it's just so dangerous to go into that second contract and give the guys money. So potentially you're really only looking at about five, six years of value. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing as well. And then, that, of course, that's why people like – that's why Zeke did what he did – and try to get paid because you want to get paid before you're you're not of use to anybody anymore. Uh, but let's uh, we had which made me think about this podcast is we had like a little discussion about uh, privately we had a little discussion about what the Browns would do if they did fry, fire Mister I don't look at stats Freddie Kitchens. But first, I don't remember what you said or not. If you were uh, Dorsey, John Dorsey, would you move on from Freddie Kitchens? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you... This is an interesting question. Obviously, a week ago, I said I thought he had a decent chance to stay on because from from this last weekend through the end of the season, I believe the only team they have to play with a winning record is the Ravens for one game. So it's a pretty easy schedule, but then they went and lost to Brandon Allen in the Broncos. <laughs> so it doesn't look good. I assume, unless they really just crater here, that he'll finish out the season. I think for him, I think if he can pull it out and get you know to seven wins or so, I think he has a decent chance of hanging on, and I would consider it if I was Dorsey. But if you're looking at a five and eleven team, which right now that seems like a distinct possibility, I I don't think you could keep him on. I don't think you can finish, well, I guess, two and a half games worse than last season or a game and a half worse and be thinking this guy's the answer when he's taking five yard penalties on fourth down <laughs> so he can think of a play. It's so bad. I I you're more optimistic. Like I am like more like this guy's shown that they can't do shit. That's it. And usually I'm not, I'm pretty accurate when I'm ready to pull the plug on somebody, whether it be a player or a, uh, cause sometimes it's just like there, you know, but I think when you're dealing with yeah. a team that is unprepared, it's one thing to be young and just not know how to win. And perhaps, get out coached or perhaps lose a close game here and there. You miss field goals. I mean, Hugh Jackson had plenty of games that just came down to field goals, but these games aren't coming down to field goals. They're getting soundly beaten 
They're one of the most penalized teams. They have some of the most turnovers. There's con- there's not this button buttoned up approach where it just seems like they're not a team and everybody's going this way when Odell's doing this and there's all this hype and he doesn't seem to be intellectual as he proved today. Like I said to you and I said it during the season, he looks like the coach that's going to star on the next season of Last Chance U or the, uh, the or coach, the next coach of Mississippi State or Ole Miss. It's just leadership and optics. And then what you see, it's just like, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing anything. And he's there because of Baker. So that's the biggest thing. But I'm not seeing anything that he's doing that would, and I'm not big on firing coach, but I'm not seeing anything he's doing that would make me say, we're going in the right direction. No, I, I think you're right. They don't seem like a cohesive, in pretty much any meaning of the word, team. The weird thing was they had that, they won at Baltimore, and they like crushed Baltimore, and it was like, all right, they're 2-2, two and two, things are on track. And then they just get demolished by the Niners, and it's, I mean, they, they're competitive against the Seahawks, but otherwise, it's just been ugly. And... Right, like, where are they succeeding? Uh, Outsiders has them as the 25th-ranked offense on the season, and he's calling plays. (laughs) And you're supposed to have this quarterback as your franchise guy. You added Odell Beckham. Nick Chubb has been effective, so he's not an issue. I know the offensive line's not very good, and, you know, that part belongs on Dorsey, but you can't be a bottom quarter of the league offense. That's inexcusable with what they have. And that's your calling card. And yeah, they're yeah, exactly. Like to me, I, I was kind of okay with the hire. I was like, all right, he got the offense moving. Um, they brought in, shoot, who's the, uh, Steve Wilkes is a defensive yeah, yeah. coordinator. Now I was like, all right, that's a solid, solid hire. So he, he's got the defense taken care of. You can just focus on the offense, which is what was working last year. And just none of it's gone right. And like you said, he he always came off as kind of this off color kind of guy, but he thought maybe he's you know he's comes off that way, but he's actually got the intelligence. It does not appear that that's the case at all. <laughs> he just seems like some guy who should be coaching his kid's high school team or something right now. Honest to so, God, I would have had yeah. The I guy, think unless you the offensive improvement over the last seven games. Remember the offensive lineman from Hard Knocks, the offensive line coach from Hard Knocks with the gut. They every time he said hike, <laughs> I honest to God, I think I would have hired him. Yeah, before I hired Freddie Kitchens, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm so serious. There's no way I would have hired him, Freddie Kitchens. I just can't do it. I'm sorry, can't do it. I never broke your train of thought, but I just can't do it, man. Uh, what's what's wrong with Baker? What have you seen that's wrong with Baker? I mean, I we we've all seen him where. He, I think, you know, he's gotten skittish in the pocket. I think that's obviously a big issue. I mean, some of the picks have been bad luck. They haven't all been on him. Yeah, I'm I still I'm still buying Baker stock, especially if, you know, they move on here and he gets more confident coaching. And I assume the number one priority from a personnel standpoint in the offseason is going to be offensive line. Yeah. So I imagine they're going to get that at least maybe not completely fixed, but it's going to be fun- a functional line. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. It just to me, it just seems like he's not. He doesn't trust the line. He 
I don't know why this last game you saw that play in the fourth quarter where I think it was on the fourth down where Beckham just beats Chris Harris like immediately. Yeah. And all he's got to do is lob it down the sideline and they probably win the game. And everyone was joking, like, Eli would have made that throw because Eli was going to force it to Odell yeah, no matter what the situation yeah. was. Which sometimes is the right move when you have a guy who's that good. So I don't – I'm just kind of at a loss for exactly what's gone wrong with him because I was a huge believer in Baker. I mean, like I said, I, I still believe in him. But, but prior to the season, I probably would have been like, yeah, I'd take, I think I'd lean towards Baker over Deshaun Watson, and that's – yeah, completely off the table now. It it's funny. Well, what, what what have you seen? What, what's your major takeaway? Gosh, there's so much to dig into. I love, unfortunately, which is kind of geeky and kind of like sadistic. But I love when a team is is messed up because and but you think they shouldn't be because <laughs> I want to. I'm like a problem solver, so I want to dig in there. Like some of the Cowboys' offense was on that three game losing streak. I every week I was digging in film and reading everything I could about trying to figure out why. <laughs> like I need to know why everything is fucked up, you know. So I actually prefer right. to look at something like this. Like, well, what the hell is wrong with the Browns? You know, it shouldn't be like this because they were succeeding. So from Baker, for what. Teams have figured him out. Well, now I'll take this first. There's this incredible symbiotic relationship to everybody in football. You know, there's this ecosystem. But I've never seen it so much with one team as I've seen with the Browns offense. So, yes, because most of the time you can say, okay, it's mostly the quarterback. It's mostly the line. It's mostly the receivers. It's mostly the play calling. I think it's like the same percentage of the line, the same percentage of Baker, the same percentage of – the receivers other than Higgins not running at the same depth and no connection with Odell or Landry. And they, 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 they don't run the routes and they're not exactly where they're supposed to be. Uh, then Baker being skittish and constantly going to the right and everybody in hell, everybody that's ever watched him play knows he only rolls out to the right. And I think he's like completed five passes out of 30 or something like that when he's going to the right. I've heard a key to leave on Colin Cowherd saying everybody knows that they get their hands up. So they try to back down passes. He can't see the, um, he can't see the first read. So he's really bad in the short game and that's been exposed. So the only kind of short game thing he can do is RPOs. He's really hesitant to pull the trigger on some wide open throws inside. He's not seeing clearly. He's skittish. So they're all the, and the play calling. There, when you look at the film, there aren't a lot of checkdowns. He's easy throws aren't being created. He's kind of a rhythm player too, and so like I think all those things I've said are the problem. <laughs> That's a lot, you know. I can't <laughs> narrow it down to one thing, and that is a fucked up situation when it's like that. Yeah, to, to your point about the play calling, I, I'm pretty sure it was the Browns where I saw something like a week or two ago where it's like a third or fourth and like five, and they just have like everybody running 20 yards downfield. Yeah, I'm like, like, what? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, I got you can mad. stretch the field with somebody there, but yeah. it doesn't I went make off any on sense. This guy yeah, at the page. I, Kitchens, like I said, yeah, like like we said with Kitchens, the thing that seemed to be working was he seemed to be calling plays well and seemed to have that symbiotic relationship with Mayfield in a positive way last season. Yeah, and now that's it's just gone. 
like I said, yeah, if that's not there, there's no reason for Kitchens to be there. The thing he used to do, which impressed me um, last year and on some of the film, like he would move within the pocket to find lanes. He never, ever, and it just crossed my mind, he never does that anymore. But he would, and they weren't even subtle movements. Like he would run within the pocket or slide two steps or almost do jump steps or stops to find lanes to get to people mm-hmm. underneath. Now he just stands there as a statue or he does that dumb thing where he's running to the right. It's like he suddenly <laughs> thought he was like Lamar or Mahomes or Watson, you know? And every now and then he would do the last year, he would be more freewheeling. But now he started to rely on that, or he's just like this little statue in the pocket, or he just fade. You know, it's just, it's funny. He just, there's so much. And Colin Cowherd said this. He said the further away he gets from Leak and Riley, the sloppier he gets. And I think that's true. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've seen over the last three years that Lincoln Riley seems to be the quarterback magician. And he I mean, like, I, it's not like he's not working with talented guys, but yeah. the level that each of those guys get at, and we'd seen, I mean, we only saw B- Baker briefly, but we saw Murray at uh, Texas A&M, mm-hmm. we saw Jalen at Bama, like, it's night and day between, like, where they were at it their really other places versus where they are at Oklahoma. And he does, Baker doesn't reset his feet anymore, he doesn't get back into position after he's been moved off his spot. It's just a lot. God, there's so many problems. And I'm not a... His his personality can be annoying to me sometimes. And the thing that's gotten me about his personality (laughs) is that... And a lot of people say, oh, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm going to do what I've seen Tom Brady do. uh, Peyton Manning do. uh, Even right now, Watson do. But, like, I'm going to follow the grind and shut my mouth and be the CEO quarterback Mm -hmm. template and not try to defy it knowing that this job is impossible and I'm not going to spend my energy doing the things that he does, you know? Yeah, and obviously it was easier to look past. When he's succeeding, it's you know it's all about oh he's got passion, he's got fire, you know this this gets everybody you know jacked up on the team to go out there, things like that. But yeah, now you see it, and it's just weird, unforced things that he doesn't need to say. Like, I I obviously was very critical of the Giants taking Daniel Jones. But then, why does Baker feel the need to comment on that? Yeah, like, what? Yeah, like, why? Don't insert yourself into these things. You, it's not your business. Your business is to be the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. So do that, and don't be worrying about how other teams draft QBs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why do you care? Yeah, why, why and, of course, you... he said, and, of course, his main takeaway was, like, you, you should draft quarterbacks who win games. Well... Go out there and win some games, man. Yeah, exactly. And the thing, too, about him is that it wasn't always okay when he was winning. When he didn't, when he got pissed off about not getting his hand uh, shaked with uh, the Kansas game and he grabbed his crotch, it wasn't that, like, nobody thought that was okay. <laughs> nobody, not nobody, but a lot of people didn't think it was okay when he planted the flag on Ohio State. Like, even he was winning, he was a lightning rod. 
But when he's losing, like everybody's like nobody stands up for him. But in his, <laughs> at his best, everybody's like, "Can you really do that? Like, why did he get chased down by the cops? Like, what's going on?" You know, I heard the Johnny Manziel compare whispers. You know, even around the draft. So it's like it's not what he's saying is that just it's on top. It's like I think it's revealing of his character that I'm not there. But I did see Hard Knocks where Hugh had to tell him to be the first guy in. The fact that that doesn't occur to him is a problem. But yeah, I, I and I know that people are able to do more than one thing. But if you can, if you are able to know what everybody is talking about you, and you can respond to Colin Cowherd, like I gotta look for Colin Cowherd. <laughs> if you, I mean, you gotta. You, if you're responding to all these people and these controversies, like there has to be something said without getting too like meta or or just out there or spiritual. Like there's got to be something to be said for what you're putting your energy and giving yourself to. You know, right? I I think you know a good comparison that I just thought of with the Colin Coward thing is Colin Coward was really critical of Aaron Rodgers early on in his career. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers never talked about it. I just remember, like, the day after they won the Super Bowl, Rodgers went on his show. Yeah. And, you know, he never he never came at Coward straight on. But Not it was like that. Like, yeah, he was kind of like, hey, you. I did it. what were you saying? Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's it. Hey, what were you saying? And he's competitive. And he's well, kind of a yeah. jerk, you know? Yeah, like, Rodgers. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of a jerk. He's super competitive. But he just uses his grudges as motivation. Yeah. That's why, I mean, even guys like Brady, I was sixth round pick. That's my motivation. Mayfield. He obviously, he has kind of that chip on his shoulder, but then he, yeah, he lets it take him to these other places that he doesn't need to go where it's just obnoxious and it's not helping him. It's not helping the team. It's just a distraction. And then, so too, yeah, I mean, maybe just internalize some of this stuff and use yeah. it and stop Feeling like you have to respond to everything. And no matter what, quarterbacks are special. They're on a pedestal. They're the de facto leader of the team. They, in a lot of ways, they are the uh, the thermostat or the thermometer, barometer, whatever meter, the measure of the team. And <laughs> when you got a guy who's leading your team that gets in fights with people on Twitter and it's not the same as basketball because it doesn't matter. Kevin Durant is going to score 40 no matter what teenager <laughs> he fights with. But And it's not going to affect anybody. But when you're the leader of the team and everything's supposed to go through you, it's just – that's not the guy I want to follow. And, and, and Kevin Durant obviously, obviously actually is not a leader, so there's that too. But that's just not the guy I want to go and battle with, <laughs> the guy that's got a beef with – Colin Cowherd. Like, that just can't... He's not even on ESPN anymore. Like, you gotta look for him. And I like Cowherd. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you gotta look for Colin Cowherd. (laughs) But I think... To be sure, I obviously... I think think Mayfield's bigger issue is, you know, the other stuff we're talking about where he's rolling right, he's not finding lanes, he's not setting his feet. I think, you know, obviously think the actual on-field stuff is the most important thing, but there's just no need. If, you, if you're not doing that stuff right, maybe don't talk for a while. Fix that stuff. Yeah. 
fix your fix what you need to do on the field. So if we did, so we're we're so when we're looking at potential head coach replacements, my general thought process is for if I'm here. I'm kind of speculating on what they'll do. It seems like most of the time, and this goes for picking head coaches in the NFL, and it also actually goes to picking presidents, but <laughs> people tend to gravitate towards somewhat of the opposite of whoever they just had. Now, I don't think in the Browns case that's going to mean a defensive coach, even though that's probably where I would go, because I think the guys that I'm looking at as the the best possible candidates are defensive guys. But my guess is with the Browns, that's going to mean a guy who's been a head coach before. Do you, do you feel the same or do you think they're a little different there? I mean, I think you, I think you gotta go with somebody that's experienced. You need a strong, steady hand that can manage these personalities that has gravitas to kind of get in their face. It's like, Hey, uh, you know, what are you doing, Odell? Even though he's kind of held it in, and definitely somebody that needs to that can drop a f bomb at Baker, and it's okay. Like he needs a Mike Holmgren, and I'm not, not, I'm not proposing Mike Holmgren at this point, but right. yeah, he needs that. And but Mike McCarthy doesn't seem the right guy, but he needs somebody like that, though. Yeah, I, I agree. Like ideally, I think that's the guy. That's why. Again, I, I don't think this will happen. And nor, nor do you when we talked about it. But after Lincoln Riley says no, that's why I thought, you know, try Jim Harbaugh because he would be that guy. Yeah, he definitely would be that guy. And I, and I actually think he could get the program going. You know, I think his energy and his passion, I think he mm-hmm. could get it going. But the I just can't see him leaving it unfinished when it's his dream job, you know. But he does seem to get tired of places yeah, I, about I, this time. I, I, you can't, <laughs> That's you, can't, true. you can't go out. This is about the time where he was. Yeah, really... when I... yeah, when he would bail. Yeah. When I was looking through, like, trying to think of coaches, when I'm looking at the ex-head coaches who are popping up, it seems like it'd be McCarthy or Jim Caldwell. Not Like, both of those guys have that sitting influence. They've got backgrounds with quarterbacks. But neither of them would be getting in anybody's face, it really seems like. No, it doesn't seem like that's their type. The Caldwell might be too understated for a team with that many, but maybe yeah. they would. Uh, McCarthy seems like too much of a retread, but he might if he'd be willing to like update. But hell, maybe Baker does just need the basics. I don't know. But uh, yeah, and then you look at college and uh, maybe you get one of those guys, but you don't know if they're, they would have to be like one of those innovator guys. I think I said either get an innovator or get an old hand. And, you know, I was thinking, like, but, you know, Marvin Lewis is too much of a retread. But in a way, like, he would be the kind of guy that you need because he's used to handling those kind of guys where at least you got a certain level of performance from that talented team that had a lot of characters on it. Now, you might have got really a lack of discipline against the Steelers, but generally speaking... Marvin, you know, <laughs> you know, you have, you know, Pac-Man Jones. I mean, he was on his best behavior a lot of the time Marvin was there. You know, I'm a Marvin apologist, so I'm sorry. But, like, it wouldn't be the worst thing. It wouldn't be received very well. But inside, he, and he knows how to bring a program that sucks to make it 
respectable, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, well, we all, we're all, we've all seen what the Bengals look like this year. So. Exactly. So, just, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. And, and they, there's I don't a lot think of, that. I don't know. you're out there too, uh, but you went to, did you go to state or Arizona? I'm sorry to slander you here. I know one of them you're going to hate. I can't remember oh, which one you went to. No. Arizona. Okay. Falls, so yeah, man. State. Let's go. But they've been, they've been. I, I, I'm the one who had the Super Bowl. But in QB, <laughs> they've been good. I know they've been good reviews for what Herm and Marvin and all them are kind of doing out there. But yeah, I don't, I don't see Marvin get another job. But yeah, so th- I think the options aren't as good as you know. Are there, are there any more people that have had a conversation with Sean McVay? Like you're running, out, you're running out of options. Uh, <laughs> what do we do? We just get the. I, I don't, I don't know what's left to get. Maybe Shanahan, you know, get a coordinator um, from Shanahan, or you want old man Shanahan, <laughs> Daddy? Now I was thinking whoever's his assistant, whoever his uh, quarterbacks or offensive line coach, or his is he is he available? Is he alive? Um, is Mike Shanahan still? That wouldn't be a bad <laughs> idea, honestly. I have gotta be pretty pretty up there by now. Yeah, yeah. One good. one guy I didn't think about. When we were talking the other day, was a uh, Matt Rule, the uh, Baylor, Baylor coach. coach yeah. He almost took the uh, Jets co- job last year, but he, I think there was some. I think he was going to have total control over the offensive and defensive staffs because I think yeah they already hired Greg Williams, mm. and so he backed out, which seems to have been a wise choice based yeah. on how everything with the Jets has gone. I almost feel like Greg Williams. So, and obviously Baylor's. I wonder what would have happened if Greg Williams had stayed on as the coach and they kept uh, they kept uh, what's his fate Kit Freddie at offense coordinator. I wonder now. I think eventually it crashes and burns, but I think they would be better because they would be more disciplined. It's. I mean, it, can't really argue they'd be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It wasn't as profound. I thought it was more profound than it really, really was. Because yeah, <laughs> they're so bad. I mean, I, I'm not a Greg Williams fan at all, but I, I would have to agree at this point that probably would have been a better option than where they're at now. I still wouldn't be my choice, but yeah, I mean, obviously Freddie Kitchens as a head coach has not worked out at all. I mean, you do have guys like. His teams are focused. If they're not good, they could be overly focused and overly aggressive. But they're, you know, he's going to have them ready to yeah. play. They're, that effort and concentration is not going to be the issue uh, with Greg. But uh, let's uh, let's shift to politics if you're ready. You ready? Sure. Okay. All right. So, gosh, there's so much going on. I guess it's hard to even wrap your head around it. It's not even 2020 yet. I know. It's not even 2020 yet. And Trump is like, I didn't think it's possible for the stories to like the news cycle for Trump to increase, but I think it's increased to the point where I cannot accurately follow it the way I like to follow politics. But with impeachment, (laughs) I guess the big question is, the big question is for the Democrats, is this worth it? You got an election next year. He's not going to be removed. God knows what it would take for the Republican senators to actually remove the man. So with the odds of him being removed so low and election next year, 
just in your you put your political hat on is it worth it I think it is for for a variety of reasons I think well one of my takeaways from yesterday because I think it's dangerous to look at anything that happened yesterday in elections that are purely statewide that are not anything to do with the federal government you shouldn't project ahead like I don't think anyone on the dem side should look at winning the governorship in Kentucky and being like, oh, this is a great sign. Like, we've got it. Like, their governor was just super unpopular because he attached, he attacked teachers and was trying to get rid of the Medicaid expansion there. Like, don't do dumb shit, obviously, and he easily wins because Kentucky's still super conservative. Trump's approval is still high there. So don't jump ahead there. I think no one should do that. And I think Republicans, I don't think they're freaking out about it, nor should they. But I do think when you see that happening and you see Virginia going fully blue now, I think that is going to make, that's going to keep Democrats from freaking out about like, oh, maybe we shouldn't pursue this. I think they're not, they're going to be a little more steady on that. But I also think, I mean, look, like everyone talks about how the Clinton impeachment backfired. And yeah, it did in congressional elections immediately afterwards. But two you know, less than, what about right on two years later, George W. Bush becomes president. It didn't destroy them. And that was about a guy having sex with an intern, which is obviously inappropriate and probably would be a much bigger deal now from the left's perspective. But... You know, I think everyone was like, this has nothing to do with him being president. And that's why that backfired. I think with what they're doing now, no, you're not going to get a conviction unless probably Trump does have to, like, walk out in the street and shoot someone in the head to get impeached by the Republican Senate. It had but to be the right person. You're not trying to... You're not trying to <laughs> yeah, you would oh, get a strong self-defense pushback if he did that. We're like, wait a minute. We didn't see all of the tape. We don't know why he shot that yeah. man. You would get a lot of pushback. We need. It would have to be. He would have to shoot. God, I'm the off color guy. You're a straight guy, so it's hard to to. Uh... <laughs> You're not gonna oh, give me a name. It would have to be somebody really bad. Okay, he <laughs> would have to shoot a dog right. In... <laughs> he would have to shoot a puppy in Times Square, and then. <laughs> the party might turn on him, okay? A child, a, a, a white child, a white non-immigrant, non-European child holding a puppy, and then we're good. <laughs> gonna shoot Tom Hanks and Oprah carrying puppies and babies. That's what's gotta be. Pretty much. That, that's what um, it would take. But, and also, what? He just moved his residency to Florida so he can say he was standing his ground. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, so he, he's got it no matter what. Boom, boom, boom. Rim shot. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah like, I mean, I think the key to remember politically is that for the Dems' perspective is, no, you're not going to win over Republican senators. And the reason is you're not going to win over Republicans. Because the only way that the, the Senate turns is if rank-and-file Republicans turn on them. And we've seen... Over the last month, I think his, you know, I think Republican uh, support for Trump is it's dipped, but it's still like eighty percent. So no, no one's going to be like, I'm going to risk being primaried 
by some far right nut job who might actually beat me because that's where the Republican Party is now. But you're not going to win it over Republicans, but you're a you're feeding your base because the base wants this. They've always wanted it. And I think Pelosi's actually played this pretty well because the base has been calling it for it for pretty much the get go. Like there's this, there's this, 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 there's this. And I think a lot of it's legitimate criticism of Trump, but none of it was actually going to win people over. But now it's gotten to a point where Pelosi and the more moderates who were wary of doing this, they see this as an opportunity that you can win over independence on this. You can be like, this guy's corrupt. This guy's attacking our democracy. And I, all you have to do is get more independence on your side. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the Russia stuff, it got like, even if you look at the Russia stuff, most independents generally thought Trump was doing stuff that wasn't great there. They just didn't think it was worthy of impeachment. I think now you've got something, especially where the initial reports, everyone was saying, well, if it's not quid pro quo, it doesn't really matter. And now it's very clear that it was. Yeah. And now, so Republicans have shifted to, you know, well, but they, they eventually got the money and nothing, there was never actually an investigation, yeah. which is beyond the point. Like if a bunch of people say, you know, if you attempted murder is still a crime, even if you failed in the crime you were trying to commit. Yeah. Attempted robbery is still a crime. So I think you can win over independence. And I think the other risk is if you don't do anything, why, what's, if Trump's seeing that he can get away with trying to do this stuff, why would he stop doing this stuff? Yeah. Why wouldn't he still be trying to dig up dirt on... And I, you know, I think a key thing to remember, too, is it's not like he... He probably does believe that there all these conspiracies but you would like ukraine wouldn't have to actually find anything on biden they just have to say there's an investigation yeah that's all he wanted. it's like the from the Hillary stuff it wasn't at the end when comey sends out that letter but it turns out the emails on wiener's cell phone were stuff they would already looked through that didn't change anything yeah but as soon as that story's out there that matters and so I think you're just inviting him to try it, to throw anything at the wall at whoever is your eventual nominee without any repercussions if you don't pursue this. So I think politically, I think it's probably, I think at worst case, you, it's probably a draw unless they totally screw it up. And it seems so far like they're, they've learned some lessons from the Russia probe. And then I think you're, I think it's too dangerous for whoever your eventual nominee is if you don't pursue this. Yeah, I thought I, I thought I know I ran on a bit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. I thought that I didn't think it was a witch hunt, the Comey investigation, because it was very thorough. But I thought uh the collusion obviously I was like, Well, no, it's kinda obvious what happened, that they kinda looked into it and they were shady, but they didn't literally collude. But the obstruction yeah. Okay. And and it was and it's such a, a drumbeat from the beginning, the Democrats, and they just seemed so political when it kind of was kind of clear that you couldn't straight connect him to it. Like this, his hand is in the cookie jar. Like he can't lie like a little kid lies. Like he literally has chocolate all over his face 
And like, it's so brazen <laughs> and so obvious what happened that even his best supporters can just say, this is what people do and it doesn't rise. Like everyone knows what has happened. <laughs> like, like n- almost no one that's reasonable is denying what happened on that perfect phone call. So it's a little bit different where he is abusing the rule of law. He is abusing the Constitution and his role so bad that I even believe that they have a duty to at (laughs) least do the inquiry and probably vote to impeach. To take the vote, even if you don't do it. And I'm rusty on censure rules because the last time I heard about it, it's like they kind of got to admit it. But that seems like that would be like a way out. But I think with censure, it's almost like you throw yourself on the mercy of the court, which is never fucking happening with him. But it just, they, I feel like they have to at least go through the process they're going through. Even if, even if like, this is not going to happen, but even the Democrats voted not to impeach. But if they just put all this out there and laid it out there for the public, it's their responsibility to do that with what he's done. Right. That's been the one part that has kind of surprised me with the way the Republicans played this, where they tried to make it seem like all these secret hearings are, you know, against the Constitution and, like, they need to be open. I was like, why would you want this in the open? Yeah. Like, why why try to force Democrats' hands on that? Like, it was just bizarre. It seemed like it was just an unforced error. I mean, obviously, they're in a tough spot because... Every time they try to move the goalpost, it seems like it just comes out that Trump actually did whatever they it moved gets it worse. To. So, I, <laughs> but yeah, I think it becoming public helps. Another thing you know, I forgot to mention is when you go down this line, you're getting people to have votes on this. Yeah. Which, if you can then run campaigns on, well, Republicans think this Republican thought that it was okay for Trump to do whatever he wants. And, yeah, I think that's going to be a winning issue. And then one thing that I think is interesting about the way this works out is obviously when people like Lindsey Graham try to pretend like this is normal, they're lying because they know it's not normal. But I think a lot of rank-and-file Republicans really believe that this stuff is pretty normal. I mean, some of them believe that, you know, Obama was – purposefully like ordering spying on the Trump campaign. And then obviously that kind of falls apart when, why wouldn't you have then announced it before the election to (laughs) affect it? But you know, they, they really believe that these conspiracies that like Obama was doing this and, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Clintons, especially bill, but they, you know, they basically think they're house of cards characters and they've done all these crazy things and they've caused, you know, they've murdered people so to, for them, if you believe those things, then what Trump is doing does seem normal and could seem justified, which yeah, is crazy to me. But, you know, I think it's I don't think it's entirely it's cynical, but it's not from their perspective where, uh, you know, obviously the actual senators, the actual representatives, they do know better. But they're just feeding the base because that's kind of where conservative media has taken the base. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, so how do you think this plays out? I mean, I think he gets impeached, which again, I think it was someone on 
this maybe it was a sports page. I don't know. There was someone who, who was saying like Trump won't get impeached, and I was like, you understand what impeachment is? Yeah, like, I don't think most people. He's one hundred percent going to be. Impeached. I didn't see a poll that people that like that's how that impeach means just to bring the charges and not. I want I want to see how many Americans actually know this because every time this comes up, I feel like I have to. The teacher had of me has yeah. to come up and say that does not mean he's removed, but I know <laughs> it's not fifty percent that know what it really is. But anyway, right? I mean, which is it's weird because Clinton wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it really like was. People know he was impeached. And he didn't leave office. Like, it seems <laughs> like if you just remember that, you'd understand. It would be very hard. I had a sense teacher. I mean, he, he's drilled definitely it, drilled it into my head, you know, that that's what that was, yeah. you know. But, yeah, and then you lived through Clinton, and, yeah, I, I don't understand. <laughs> and then some people think that Nixon was impeached, but he wasn't, and it, it's, it's a right. sad state. Maybe that should have been our warning that people – have never understood what impeachment was, pretty much the whole thing. Because I'm pretty sure, I was young, but I'm pretty sure people were saying the whole thing during the Clinton process, they were pretty confused too. So maybe that should have shown us where we were going, that the way we remove a president from office, the average American doesn't understand. But <laughs> that should have maybe told us something. So that, that's a pretty clear issue. But yeah, he's definitely going to get impeached. Like you said, I... As bad as it's gotten, it's still hard for me to imagine that he actually would come close to being convicted and removed. I mean, obviously, I've you know I've done some reading and people have been tweeting you know that Nick the whole Nixon thing moved pretty slow for a long time, and then at the very end it just sped up, and it was like, oh wow, he's actually he's done. But of course, that required. You know, a bunch of Republicans to go to the White House and tell them that it's shame. over, including Barry they Goldwater. Where and they had dignity, and I know people that are watching it. I am not a liberal. Joe is a liberal. I am not a liberal. I am <laughs> uh, uh, used to be conservative for less government and all this kind of stuff. But you know, I am not. If if anybody's listening, I'm more of the Bill Crystal or John McCain type of Republican that's almost a dinosaur these days. I am not a liberal, but I don't know how you can not say these obvious things if you have like your mind on, on straight and you haven't been drinking Kool-Aid. You know, I don't see... I mean, and you're not really viewing it from a liberal perspective. We're just kind of breaking it down with analysis. But speaking of analysis, yeah. your girl, Elizabeth Warren, has, has made a run at this thing. You think she can pull through and get the nomination? I, I'm pleasantly surprised. It's kind of reminding me of uh, 2008 because I, th- this is just going to sound funny in retrospect. But I remember, like, I was a high school senior, like, you know, late 2000, this time 2007, so 12 years ago. And people were like, oh, who do you think the nominees will be? I was like, well, it's going to be Clinton for sure. And then I was like, it's probably going to be Giuliani for the Republicans. Oh, God. <laughs> Which yeah. just sounds It looked like it, yeah. though. But, but, even though I was, okay, oh, God, America's mayor. What happened? God, but, that's so scary. I think about that a lot. Like at the time, though, like I'm living in Arizona. Oh, it's so weird. He used to be like in Adam Sandler movies and stuff, and like, ah, oh, it's Rudy. I just like <laughs> to believe he has dementia. But like, I was living in Arizona, and there's a real and case. Time, he is a I real was, case that he has dementia. And he's being taken advantage of. That's how I like to see it. <laughs> I, 
I think there's a real case Trump is dementia too, but actually, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, true, yeah. It's really high functioning, but anyway, in a way. But, uh, but yeah, I'm the taking it off. It's way worse. But uh, yeah, back in 07, I, I was an actual conservative back in 07. Like, I was a registered Republican when I registered to vote. But uh, so I saw, I was in Arizona. I'm a Republican. I was a big John McCain fan. And then. Obama was kind of like the rare Democrat where I was like, I kind of like this guy, which I guess probably a decent number of at least moderate Republicans felt that way. And so for me, that whole time, I was like, I don't think either of them is going to win, but I'd really love it if it was those two guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then it worked out, you know, McCain actually had the big comeback because his campaign was seemed like it was falling apart. It was done. Mid to late 07. Yeah, I remember like Time Magazine had like the Phoenix, it said, or something. It had a big picture of John McCain because he's risen from the ashes and obviously the Arizona thing. Yeah. But so th- this time, is it's kind of reminding me of that where Warren was someone I was really big on. And then she did the whole DNA rollout, which was just oh, awful so on multiple levels. Like it was bad politically. It was bad just like from a basic standpoint of understanding what qualifies you to really claim to be Native American. But she does that. She just falls way back in the polls. And she's just – she's run the best campaign since then. She's just been really steady. She's focused on issues. She's been able to – I think a key thing for her is she's been able to form a narrative around all of her policies. Because I think that's where Hillary failed because – she had, you know, people would mention like, oh, she's got all these policies, but no one ever talks about them, which is partially a failure on the media. But also you have to be able to build a narrative around your policies. You have to make people understand, like, what do I stand for? And I think she's been very clear on that. And I think like in contrast, I think that's been an issue for like Kamala Harris, where I don't think she's consistently made that case in part because I think Harris made the mistake of trying to move further to the left than where I think she really was in the idea that that's what you needed to do. But between Warren and Sanders, there's no room over there. <laughs> there really isn't. And I <laughs> like, think, where are you going? <laughs> He's a socialist. Where are you going? And she has not identified <laughs> as one, but you obviously could say her policies are. So <laughs> there definitely isn't room. Right. How could you go to the front, the left of Bernie? Right, like, yeah, there's there's no room over there, and I think she's been late in course correcting. I think you've seen Buttigieg really try to move in that direction now, where he's trying to be, like, the centrist alternative to Biden, where if Biden falls apart, and you see it with his fundraising, too, Buttigieg, where he seems to really be saying, like, do you trust Biden to get through this, and do you want a Sanders or a Warren presidency? He's been selling that to people. Yeah. And he's, he's got a lot of money to spend because he's brought yeah. in a lot of donations. But for, as far as Warren goes, I think I do think she's in a good spot. She's leading Iowa. She's leading New Hampshire. If she can win both of those, I mean, I think she has to become the favorite at that point. Her one big issue is she's got to be able to chip in to Biden's lead with African Americans because if you're just going to lose the entire South, you're that's going to be tough. Yeah. I think that yeah, I, gosh, I think she's been really impressed when she recovered from that really bad rollout 
I still think she would be yeah. weak in a head-to-head matchup against him because he's going to pound that kind of thing. He's going to go after her. And she's almost so complex that his simplicity is a strength. And she does a great job of explaining it. And I think the advantage over Warren with Hillary is, one, she's authentic. Even when she tries to do that fish out of water, really dumb social media, drink a beer with my husband, it's so awkward (laughs) that it's authentic. It's like, this is an old woman trying to get hit with technology, but you can see that it's an old woman that's actually trying to put herself to be vulnerable to try. You know, it's, it's like the, she's a really smart teacher that we all had and we all liked. And everybody Mm -hmm. said that, you know, it was sexist against Hillary when I always believe she's just not that likable. Warren is likable and yeah, they're going to eat her up, but even at this point, the Democrats didn't like Hillary as much as people on the Democratic side like Elizabeth Warren. And she's just really great at explaining, like she says, just five cents in her tax plan. It makes sense on, you know, five cents per every million or whatever. Now she's bringing out the universal health care and that's a different story about how she does that. But the way she's able to sit there and explain like a teacher in bite-sized pieces that everyone can understand to simplify the complex is helps a lot. Like you can't be a reasonable person and listen to Elizabeth Warren and think she's crazy. Now, if somebody else takes what she says and mangles it, you think that, but I think her personality makes her more likable and relatable. And even if she is this, you know, tax and spend liberal, I don't think, it sticks like it would stick for others, I think. Yeah, I, I think that that was really my big worry as someone who, who did like Warren coming into this, was that she was going to be too wonky, that what she was going to try to, like she'd get lost in the details. But she has been very good at explaining it, breaking it down into a way that makes it clear to everyone what she's trying to accomplish. And I think... Uh, you know, obviously she's going to, like you said, she's going to have her weaknesses, like Trump's going to beat the hell out of the Pocahontas thing. I, I'm not entirely sure how that plays with independence. That's where I'd really be curious to see if someone's done strong polling on that or not. Because obviously, I don't think most conservatives legitimately care about it that much. They just like to use it. And I think most liberals, while it would bother them, or at least... It bothers some liberals. I've seen some people online who act like it's a non-issue, and I don't agree with that. But, you know, I think hatred for Trump easily overpowers any questions there. So I think the question is, do independents care about that? I don't know. But I think one issue, and I think for her and even Bernie, who has, you know, embraced the socialist which I, I think embracing that you're a socialist is probably still a losing proposition <laughs> yeah, it's not. to the American electorate. But, but I think there's a point in that Democrats shouldn't be that afraid of the whole class warfare label. Because I think you look at 2012, and I think one of the big mistakes Romney made was actually picking Paul Ryan. Because it really moved that election away from – it helped Obama move it away from – a referendum on the previous four years, which I think he did about as well as he could have done for the most part. 
But the reality was the economy was so screwed up that people were still in a bad spot in 2012. And so the fundamentals should have been bad for him. It should have been like, the economy is still crap. You, we need someone else. But when he chose, when Romney chose Paul Ryan and then Romney just being who he was, Bain Capital, rich guy, Obama was able to hit, you know, like this guy doesn't actually know your, he doesn't understand your problems at all. He's not even really trying to fix them. He's trying to get tax cuts. I'm fighting for you guys. And I think Warren and Sanders would both easily be able to do that in this election and be like, do you want to go with the billionaire who picks fights with China that's killing the farm industry, who gave tax cuts to millionaires? Do you want that guy? Or do you want to have health care for everyone? And I think I think that's probably still a winner. I think the healthcare stuff, Medi- Medicare for all, is it's questionable yeah, it's in much. a general election. That it worries me much. a bit. That's definitely going to be a weakness, I think, and but I, too I, much for people. A bridge too far, yeah. rather. That that is the one thing I question. Like I, I'm generally with them on the idea. I think we do need national healthcare. But if you just do a public option, I think that's a lot easier to sell people on. Like, you can keep your current plan. Nothing's going away. You'll just have a government option if you want it. Yeah. I think that's easy to sell people on. It's pretty easy to explain. So that is the one policy issue that I really worry about with Warren. And then also, I'm not a big believer in Sanders having a great shot at winning the nomination. I think it's... Probably Biden or Warren, and I'm not not ruling like, out Sanders or even just seem like Harris or Buttigieg, but I think it's probably doesn't Sanders just seem like he's treading water and like he just missed his time? Yeah, but it never was his time, but he missed his time too, and it's just like he's there, but now you got Warren taking up, you know, just got like it, it, but he's gonna stay at eighteen percent the whole time, but he's just not gonna just treading, you know. But I think yeah, and I, I think the interesting. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I think before we get there, it's so much to talk about Warren. Before that, I think, and we can get to, we can get to Bernie. But I think with Warren, I think by Trump going after her so early, it's almost like I feel like mm-hmm. he has her number. Like he 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 hurt her before she mm-hmm. ever started running, and really had no reason to do that. It's like he's got the scouting report and he already wanted to draw first blood before she ever even got in the race. When he's on you like that, I've seen what he did to Jeb and I've seen what he did to Marco. And, and you know, so I, 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 that's what I feel like. He just has her number, you know, and I can't even describe it. Like I just feel like that what he did with the Pocahontas thing is a sign that he saw her as a threat and he went after her early and he's got more in the chamber. I can definitely see that. One thing that that brings up, though, for me, is one of the reasons that I I wonder about Biden being the most electable. Because I, I think, obviously, if you held the election tomorrow, Biden's the most electable. Because, I, I mean, the polls show that, for the most part, that he fares the best. I don't think people should take that as gospel, because we haven't even had an actual caucus or primary yet. So let's see how all these candidates handle actual campaigning when it gets into the thick of it. But I think when you look at that Republican primary and what Trump did, 
I think a lot of people just kind of fell into it. Like Rubio, I remember one debate was like trying to like come back at Trump, but going really you know low with it, trying yeah, to like go at Trump's level, and he it just said, didn't work. He said he had small hands, or I, I don't know who had who said that first, but yeah, it was pretty yeah, immature. We all, yeah, we all we all had a laugh at that, but like nobody cared about that, and Trump didn't really. Trump bounced off him, didn't matter to him. And I think Biden can fall into that trap because I think he very much has that like, oh, I'm going to take you on mano y mano. Like he said, like, oh, like if did he say something like if I was in high school with him, I would have beat him up or yeah, he something. Said I'd take him behind the bleachers, like, and kick his ass, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, what good does that do? Why are you <laughs> saying that? Yeah. Like I think that that's my one thing where I kind of. I kind of like Warren, and I actually think, I, I, at this point, I think Harris is probably out of it. But if she were to stage a comeback, I actually kind of feel like Harris is the most electable because, in part, because she's a black woman. Because, A, I mean, I think it helps you potentially get black participation, black percentages back up, because I think Hillary lost like 5.5% participation african-american vote from 2012 to 2016 and about four or five percent fewer percentage voted for and if she just gets that back up to the obama levels you're potentially winning the states you need to but i also think trump trump's so comfortable fighting with another man i think that's what he's used to and i also think it comes it comes off okay he can say whatever the hell he wants about Joe Biden and no one's going to be like, ah, like that's too far. I think going up against a woman causes him some issues. I think Fiorina was one of the few people who actually hit back decently against him back in the Republican primaries. And I think going against a black woman, I think he would combust. I don't think he could take being on the debate stage and feeling like I have to take crap I think it's hard for him to take it from a woman. I think it's doubly hard for him to take it from a black woman. I don't think he would handle it well at all. And I think it would become really apparent. And I think for you know for those independents, for the you know the racism and the sexism to be on display right in front of them, like on national television, I think that would I think that would hurt Trump a lot. Now I could be wrong. Maybe. <laughs> I've been wrong about a lot of things with Trump over the last few years. But the only problem that's with kind her... of, that's just one of the things. Yeah, I was really excited about Kamala Harris. Very excited. And then I saw her campaign. And there's this Hillary thing to me where she will say she really wants to win. And she's so strategic Mm -hmm. that she's not showing who she really is. And when people don't feel like you're being your authentic self to win, I think people can smell that for a a mile away. And so, yeah, she went after Joe Biden. And then it came out that it wasn't super accurate. And then she was trying to, and and then she went on the breakfast club and she said she smoked weed and listened to Tupac, but Tupac wasn't out back then or something like that. It's like, she will just do, (laughs) and I want to say morally, she won't do whatever it takes but she'll say, or she'll try to coin a phrase, or she's going to go into the debate and say, okay, I can't remember what happened in the last debate, but 
she's going to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do this debate and see if that hits. And let's see if this hits. So she really wanted to go to the mm-hmm. left and say, Elizabeth, why won't you stand with me and take Trump off Twitter? Well, who the fuck cares? You think that's an issue for a presidential <laughs> election that a private organization hasn't, that Trump uh, violates the terms of service? But it's like someone told her that whoever's leading her campaign sucks and she's fired quite a few of them, uh, because, probably because of money. But it's like, they just say, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to try that. And the only time her strategy worked was when she attacked Biden and she made some waves and went in the polls and then it went back down. And Biden ended up looking sympathetic before it was over with. Yeah, I mean, I think the Twitter thing, I can I can actually understand it and, like, why she would feel that's a big issue. I mean, what, it was, like, a year ago where that guy mailed, like, pipe bombs to people. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he is encouraging... Uh, one, what there's the you know there's the people the guy who shot up the synagogue last year mm-hmm. who you know thinks that uh what I'm forgetting his name but the uh, the Democratic donor they always the Jewish guy oh, yeah, like, yeah. oh, he's God. funding everything because the boogeyman I can't remember his name God yeah I can't remember his name but yeah I know we're talking about yeah so I think you know I think there's I think there's a real argument for like they should take Trump off Twitter but I agree that. Whatever merit there is to that, that's not that's not a winning issue. And trying to be like, this is my moment to like either get Warren on my page, on the same page, or take her down. That's not going to work because the average person isn't thinking about those things. They don't care that much about them. And then, like you said, with the busing, it was a great moment in that debate. But then afterwards, they're like, "Well, would would you support busing now?" And she's like, "Well, no." no. And the reality is our schools are as segregated now as they were in the 70s. Exactly. So it's, it's kind, of, kind of problematic if you're going to slam for this and then be like, well, I don't want to fix it now. And I, I think on the plus side for her and Hillary, I think one of the issues they have is I think they're both very, very pragmatic people. Yeah. And I think if you're, if you're actually in the if you're actually in the Oval Office, I think that's a good quality to have. I think they're intelligent people. But they don't have the the narrative. Hillary's narrative was kind of what just became like I'm going to break the glass ceiling, which is great. Like mm-hmm. we all want that, but it left it open for plenty of people to be like, I want that. I don't want it to be you. Yeah. <laughs> I Where always Harris, thought, I always thought her slogan was just so tone deaf. I'm with her. Like <laughs> your your slogan can't be you. Your slogan is supposed to be what you're doing for us, not what you're doing for me. Make America great. Yes, we can. Um, uh, George Bush even said when he was mm-hmm. going after McCain, he said a, refor- a, ref- a reformer with results. When he was, but it every campaign mm-hmm. is about is pushing outward towards the people, and she wanted the people to come to her to do something for her, and it just it, that summed Hillary Clinton up. You know, and I never, I don't think, I don't think she would have been a bad president, and I don't think she's as bad as obviously the right wing people think. You know, I don't think she's having people killed, but <laughs> sadly, that's where I draw the line. It's a but, little far. Um, that, but that, that, that summed it all up right there. You know, 
that's a real. I that never occurred to me. I I think that's a really good point about that slogan. I never thought about but it that. Really, I think it's me. I think it's doubly true when you're running when you're running against Trump. That should be. I mean, she did like the village together stuff sometimes too. Yeah. But when you're running against Trump, you really need to double down on collectively. Like I'm working for the American people, which again I think is a big win. If you're Warren or Sanders, if you're up against Trump, is that's the entirety of like your campaign is you're saying, I'm trying to help out everyone in this country. And if you want to come with me, let's do this. And don't. And I think, you know, you look at uh, the way Warren did came up with her Medicare for all plan. Yeah, there's questions about would all that technically work. I like I agreed. Like some of the math is a little iffy. Absolutely. But I think she's, I think it was, for her, it was actually, it was just smart politically, is to be like, I've got a plan that doesn't raise your taxes. Yeah. Now, to get it actually done, probably you're going to have to tax some people, and it would ultimately be okay, because you're not going to be paying your premium anymore, so that would work out. But I think it's smart politically, because now, anytime Trump hits her, you know, like, oh, you know, he's, she can just be like, hey. You're middle class, I'm not raising your taxes. And she can just repeat that over and over again. I think that's smart. It's, I think the Medicare for all is risky, but I think framing the conversation around not raising taxes and just making the rich pay for it, I think that's a winner. Yeah, I think so too. Especially, especially again, like you said, yeah, with, with Trump is the me, me, me guy. And I think it's really important, like you said, where Hillary failed with I'm with her. Make it about the majority of the country. And the funny thing is, though, when Trump's on the stump speech, as arrogant as he is, he will still talk, he talked to people's problems, their real problems. Granted, it was like, you know, white angst, but it, it was the problems of average Americans. Right. You know? And, it, but I think back to Kamala, when her rollout was so good and she just was sad that she won't right. let go and show that she's this feisty, borderline bitchy woman. I think she's scared of that. She's like, we're better than this. Like, that's what she said the first day she came. And if she if she had that regal demeanor that I think is the real woman, I think that would draw more people. Mm-hmm. But I think she doesn't know how to handle it. And then when there are situations, you can see it when you push her. You can see how much it irritates her and she loses the veil of this, hey, I'm this hip mom. No, you're not this hip mom. You're you're Claire Huxtable. You know what I mean? You're like, this is who you are. Like, <laughs> just be who you are. And and she got uh Tulsi Gabbard, she got pushed back on her record, and that didn't look good. Well, stop trying to lie and say that like you weren't doing the things that you did. You know what I mean? Like don't say like, don't try to act like you weren't a prosecutor. You were a prosecutor. I don't know how you get people to move off that in a Democratic primary because things have changed. But you got to figure it out without the way she did it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I don't. Yeah, I, I think a big mistake is. Go ahead. No, no, no go ahead. I, hadn't, I didn't even have a complete thought. I was looking for one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's – I understand why she's been a little bit wary of running as, like, the prosecutor. 
because of the Democratic primary and because of the shift we've we've had over the last, especially you know, ten or so years. But I think she, I think she needs to double down on that. I mean, it's not like there aren't any progressive things she did as a prosecutor. Like I know she instituted a program to work with like first-time offenders that reduced recidivism rates so that less people were getting in trouble again. So she's done some progressive things there too. And I don't know if you saw, I think it was four or five days ago, there was a big uh, Iowa like speech thing where everyone was doing a speech and she actually had a really good speech. And her thing was, one of her recurring things was that like justice is on the ballot Mm -hmm. in 2020. Which makes sense. Which I think like, that's who she is. That's her strength. Use that. You're a prosecutor. Yeah, you're running against Trump, the guy who's about to be impeached. Pretend like if you make it that far, use that, say that, like push on. You know, I've I've been in courtrooms, I've argued there. I, you know, she's had some of the best questioning when it, stuff has come up. Yeah, in the Senate. I mean, even if say, she like, was I'm going to dismantle this guy. Like I wouldn't like I've it. Done. I wouldn't like it for the democracy. But if she went hard <laughs> at like. I'm a prosecutor and I'm going to lock him up. And if she went like that hard at him, right. like people would enjoy that. She's got to be her. Like she is a pit bull, but she's trying to pretend she's like mm-hmm. this cool mom. And she's not, she's not cool mom. She's badass. <laughs> you know, I probably have a nanny. I'm a lawyer. You know, I deal with kids on the weekend. Kind of, I'm, I'm, I, this is my analogy. I don't know what kind of mom she, You know what I mean? And she just she <laughs> won't be that person that it's clear that she is, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think, like, if you look at just the lead up to impeachment, who's the first one that comes out and says really loud, we need to impeach Trump? It's Elizabeth Warren. Like, if Kamala Harris is the first person to do that, that's a win for her. Yeah. I don't know why you wouldn't do that, especially – I understand why Biden wouldn't do it. Yeah. When you're the guy leading the polls, <laughs> you're the return to normalcy, I'm not trying to make waves. That makes sense. If, you're, if your campaign's falling down, be aggressive. Go out there and say, I'm a prosecutor. I've seen enough evidence. This guy needs to be impeached. Don't be afraid. Why can't you be like Biden in that Biden doesn't apologize? Biden does – it's like – that's just how it was back then. How dare you question my record? I've done this. He's like, look, that's how we used to do it. How dare you? I've been on black people's side for 30 years and blah, 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 blah. That's all she had to do. Say, you know, things were a little bit different back then. I did the best I can. How dare you? Look at my record. I have done this, this, this. And it goes away. Like, even this, even the thing, the only people that I ever cared about were like, right. the seg- even it was a serious segregation issue. And everybody was like, okay, we know who Joe Biden is. That's not him. You know, this quote is not in line with who he is. And it was a time and blah, 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 blah. You know, and we moved on. He hasn't lost black support. So, you know, nobody cared. Black people didn't care. You know, maybe some real super liberal bloggers, but (laughs) did a think piece. But in South Carolina, Joe's still welcome to the cookout. So... You know, it's got, you got to kind of do it like that. You can't right, always I, kowtow, I think. Right, and I think one of the things that the Biden hasn't done that some of the other candidates have done sometimes is understand what the electorate really is. Is you know, people say like people like to say you know, Twitter, Twitter isn't real life, and 
I think that could be a little diminishing because sometimes the stuff that gets raised, gets raised on Twitter is stuff that wouldn't normally get raised because people don't have a platform. Mm-hmm. So there's some real merit that comes out of what people raise there. But at the same time, understand Twitter's going to skew towards people who are on either extreme. It's going to ex- skew young. Majority of people who vote are not going to be as liberal as the people raising noise on Twitter. They're going to be older. That you know, like Bernie won African Americans like thirty and younger. It didn't matter. He got crushed. Yeah, generally exactly. African Americans. It was cleaning out. Yes. And in general, like Bernie won young white people, young Latinos. He was winning all those groups. But guess what? People in their fifties and sixties are the ones who are mostly voting. So it win those people over. And Biden, that's why Biden stayed where he is. That's why even with Warren's risen, it hasn't really come that much at his expense. It's been more Kamala Harris and a little bit of Bernie. It hasn't really been that much of Biden. It's yeah, it, it, it's been a fascinating race. I think it's too many people, but it, it's getting more. Uh... Oh, we didn't talk about Beto. Let's let's talk about Beto. I didn't want it to go to two hours. We still almost got two hours. But let's do Beto and then let's do a <laughs> prediction kind of thing. And so what the hell? Yeah. Like I just, uh, I think we talked about it on, on a when I when I shared the link, maybe we discussed it, but we didn't discuss it like privately. I don't think. But what's your take yeah. on just his whole campaign? Better. I mean, he gets he gets so much momentum coming out of twenty eighteen. Like he was, he was. He might have been the most popular non-Obama among Democrats at the end of that election. Or at least, and if he wasn't, he was close. Like, everybody loved him. It was like he almost beat Ted Cruz, who we all, all of us on the left hate. And he helped people in Texas actually win some elections, and it was great. And he was this guy who was really, you know, he could be eloquent off the cuff. And then he just waited too long. Like, all these other people started jumping in the race, and then he went on his, like, I gotta go find myself. Yeah, it was awful. I don't know, car trip through America. That's what the heck that was. And he was posting, like, stream of consciousness, like, almost poetry. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and so he lost, lost a ton of momentum. And then I think probably the real death knell for him was actually Buttigieg. Because I think if he doesn't come along. That's a good point. I think a lot of those people are probably Beto people because they're they're people who are you know you get some young you know some white college educated people who might be liberal you get some more moderate people who are like I you know I don't want an old guy like Biden but I'm not with these you know people way off to the left with Warren and Sanders I want somebody else and Buttigieg just went out there and he just he took every interview he could yep he was on all these podcasts he's appearances that's what Beto needed to be doing he needed to be out there just continuing to do that and building up support and then yeah I think if he does that early I think Buttigieg probably never makes a dent I think that's and he's probably the one who's hanging around I hadn't thought about that that's a great point because not only did he get in and get the action sooner because I hadn't heard of Buttigieg which most people hadn't and, and Beto was doing his whole little thing. He even went on Oprah and did a tease instead of just announcing it. But he lost the momentum. And then the <laughs> thing about Buttigieg and him losing the momentum, Buttigieg 
does it better than Beto. What Beto is trying to do, Buttigieg does it better, especially in intimate settings. Maybe you give a speech to a whole audience and you got Beto, that's good, and when Beto gets mad, he curses and he gets attention. But what what he's trying to do or what Beto used to try to do before he said he's going to confiscate everybody's guns because I'm being flip. Only a little flip, but um, he does the <laughs> moderate, reasonable, I'm not crazy, I can speak about democratic, liberal issues in a way that everyday people will accept thing. He do- he does that better right. than Beto. And that hurts too. Because you got the first... You got the first guy that's in your lane, and he he he, he does it better, and you let him get a head start on it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I personally like Beto a bit more than Buttigieg, but I I agree with everything you just said. Like he's he's able to he's one of those people who's great at explaining issues, and he does it in a way that I feel like. And probably, and I think both of them, the reason that they've had some skill at this is because they're from Texas and Indiana, which are very conservative states, especially yeah. if you're among white people, which in Indiana is mostly what you're with, obviously. <laughs> but, like, they have this way of explaining that stuff without alienating people who are to the right of them. And I think, yeah, Buttigieg is better at doing that. And now, you know, I think he's... That's part of the reason why he's been able to course correct more towards the center, because even when he was taking out more liberal positions, he never came off as extreme. Yeah. So I think that's why he's been able to really move that way. There. And I think that, again, that's why one of the reasons why I think Harris has struggled with that, because I think she's been able to. And I, I think your authenticity thing too with her. I think I, know, I, I think she authentically cares and wants to do you know good stuff, but. You could tell some of the positions weren't exactly what she believed. Where I think Buttigieg, I'm the same as for him, but I think he's just better at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at being able to do that. Yeah, he, he's he's definitely more artful in the way he does it, and it's kind of amazing. Without getting deep, it's kind of amazing that he's got as much traction with the whole. I don't think America is past the gay thing, and I don't think they'll elect a homosexual president for a long time. Yeah, I mean. But his skill at doing it um, to not be the scary gay guy, which I hate to say, but it is about optics, which Obama had to not be the scary black guy. You know, it, it's pretty good. That's not really an issue. Right. You know? the, the, the one thing that's been, a, well, at least among my Twitter feed, it's been a big problem. And I think it's, I agree with them. Is that have you seen the thing where something came out where it's like, well, Buttigieg is struggling with, you know, like in South Carolina with African Americans because he's gay. It was like, well, there might be some truth to that with some people. I'm sure there is, but also maybe you're struggling because the, your relationship with African Americans in your city, yeah, in is your own really city, bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, first of all, they don't. <laughs> African-American like, don't that's know probably you. a bigger issue as opposed to who you're married to. Yeah, yeah. That that's like definitely a cop out because A, you're struggling in your city with it with the, how you handle the police shooting. B, African American voters in the South typically in presidential elections go for somebody they already are familiar with. Obama being the notable exception, right. but of course, it was a, a life-changing uh, you know, a once in a 
not a once yeah. in the history of the country campaign, you know. But so yeah, that, that's that, that's interesting. But and uh, so lastly, I guess also. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. Also, it's not like it's not like he's Warren and he's running at like twenty to twenty five percent nationally. Yeah, it's like you're still in the single digits. That's another. Like you said, I think especially you see black voters in the South are tend to be pragmatic, and so they're not going to be like, oh, let's roll the dice on the mayor of a city of not even that big of a city. Yeah. in Indiana, they're gonna be like, oh, let's go with the vice president. <laughs> like, <laughs> makes a lot more sense. Yeah. It, it- it definitely does. <laughs> All right, so um, it's tough. I, I think I've thought Warren. I've I've read a lot of reports of how great Warren's um operation was or is in Iowa. So I've been on her even when she was at very low. I've been on her winning Iowa. So I think she wins Iowa. I, I'm assuming you tend to agree, but if not, you can say it. How do you think this plays out? The nomination. Like I said, I think, you know, I'm not ruling out, you know, that I think if if one of the front, I, I think Warren or, San, or not Sanders, but Warren or Biden slips up bad, I think that opens it up for Harris and Buttigieg. So I'm not ruling them out. And Sanders is obviously, he's steady, he's there. I just not sure he has as high of a ceiling as really any of those four, even if his floor is really high. Just because I think there's a lot of Hillary voters who are never going to come over there. There's a lot of just generally moderate people who won't go over to him. So I think it comes down to the front runners with Warren and Biden. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting because she's. I think she wins Iowa. I agree. I think she probably wins New Hampshire. Although New Hampshire's been weird, it seems like sometimes they just choose someone who's not the winner in Iowa, <laughs> yeah, just they're, because. They're very, uh, <laughs> New Hampshire's like New I, Hampshire. I could be remembering wrong, but so far as I remember, it seemed like going into 08, Obama would probably win New Hampshire and Hillary would win Iowa. Yeah, that was definitely the way and then, and then Obama won Iowa, and New Hampshire was kind of like, oh, shit, well, i got to pick Hillary now. It's like they don't want to be irrelevant, <laughs> so, but they want to be first because they're they big on that first primary thing, and they don't want to be irrelevant, you know? So yeah. they kind of kind of do that kind of – they do that shit. And did McCain – McCain did not win Iowa. Huckabee won Iowa, and then McCain won New Hampshire. So that's kind of how they – Yeah. That's what they do. Um, yeah, but then you go to the south, and then so, – Yeah, I, I do think it's Biden and, and, and Warren – I go back and forth. Um, I, do too. I think she wins both. Uh, I could even see Bernie sneaking out in New Hampshire and making like a little run at it. Um, but God, you get down to three. yeah. I, I definitely would not like right now. I'm looking at the uh, Real Clear Politics polling, and they've got Warren 25, Biden 21, Sanders 20, New Hampshire. Yeah, so it's not. Yeah, so that's clearly that's anybody game. Yeah. But then you go to the south, and, and the you... one thing, the one thing for Buttigieg is he's actually competitive in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Like I think he's in the mid to high teens. Now. So and if he were Biden to finish like third. first or second in Iowa, yeah, I could see Biden. Being that would third be a big deal in Iowa, and there being like panic. That that's the thing. Is there a snowball thing for Biden where it's just like you lose, you come in fourth in Iowa, you come in third in New Hampshire. You got the Southern Firewall, but like, it's like, well, maybe we should look at, you know, 
we should look at Buttigieg. We should look at um, a Warren again and Bernie. And, you know, so I keep trying to find a scenario where Bernie could do it, but I don't think it can. Um, I still think if it goes national, Biden just fucks up so much in those debates too, but it doesn't hurt him. But I think if when it becomes a national race, Super Tuesday, <laughs> I think Biden ends up winning no matter what they do in the beginning. And then if Warren wins like Iowa and then Bernie wins in New Hampshire and Bernie stay, the longer Bernie stays in the race, the more it hurts Warren. And then, you know, Biden just always has that lane and Buttigieg can't get there. So I guess if you put a gun to my head, I would say Biden, if you put my political hat head on and says, say the person that runs the best campaign wins, you say Elizabeth. So I guess I'm like 5149 Biden in my mind. Yeah, for, for like uh, I can't remember when I started. It was like April or May. Like every every month on the third. I haven't done it this month, but I've been like oh, posting yeah, yeah, like yeah. my top five or for like who I think will get there. And I actually had Harris at the start, and now she I put her like fifth now. But I had Biden second. Now uh, he's been first for three or four months now, and I, Warren's been creeping up. I think part of me. Is just scared to like. I'm like afraid of jinxing her because obviously <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want her, and I also just I feel like I prefer almost any of the other ones who are up there in the top four or five to Biden. So I, I don't want to jinx it. I, I think you're right. I think I think Bernie's the key. I kind of think if Bernie sees the writing on the wall and goes, you know, Warren's someone who I agree with on ninety percent of this, and Biden's not obviously. I'm going to throw my support behind her. Then I, I think she wins at that point. Yeah. But it's hard to read Bernie. Like he might just, you know, be like, it's got to be me. And he might run it out till May or June. In which case it, I think Biden has to be the favorite. The one thing with Biden though, is if he does, you know, lose Iowa, New Hampshire, and especially if he finishes as he could like third in both, yeah, that really hurts his electability argument because people are going to go, wait a second, this guy is supposed to be the best and he's coming in third place. So this is the guy we're going to bank all of our hopes on, the guy who's bad in debates. Yeah. Then I think that opens it up, not just for Warren, like you said, but potentially Buttigieg and even Harris if she can mount a comeback. So I, I think I've, I'm the same. I think I'd still say... Fifty at this point is like fifty one forty nine, but I'd say Biden. Yeah. All right, man. This has been great. I had a long day of work, but I actually feel energized talking to you. It's good to get my brain a little workout <laughs> with the smartest man in IBS. Thanks for doing it, Joe. Yeah, man. Pleasure. All right.